Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all. And happy summer. I want to say it is summer, as evidenced by how many families we have gone still this weekend, although it may feel like fall. <laughs> it is summer. It feels like fall. Those of you that love fall weather, bless you. Um, as a side note, um, if you have a, you know, a cell phone device or something, I heard something pinging, ping, ping, that's nice. If you could silence those when we gather on Sunday mornings, would be awesome. Uh, unless you know the Lord's going to use it to confirm the word of God at just the right moment, please put it on silent. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> right during the communion. We're going to get into the, the Word of God. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open up to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Um, I love that some of you still got your actual Bibles that you, you read. Um, if you have a phone or device that you like to look at the Scripture on as well, I would encourage you to do that. love for you to get your eyes on the words. We will have uh, the Scriptures up on um the back wall here from the projector as well, um, if you don't have any of those things. So we're in our um, Coming of the Son of Man series, um, which has been so good. Um, I, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I hope you are. Um, and if you've missed stuff during this series, I would encourage you to go back and listen. I, I actually feel like it's so strange. Um, if I miss, uh, like I missed last week because I was in kids' church, I went back and listened to Marvin's message, which was, man, I was so moved. Sometimes I feel like I get more listening later on my own than in the room because I get so distracted <laughs> sitting in here with you all. But if you've missed any this week, uh, I'm sorry, this summer, would encourage you to go back and, and give them a listen. Um, today we're rewinding just a bit um, to Revelation chapter 5. Marvin talked about Revelation 7 and 8, um, but I felt like we needed to come back to this. But uh, we're also, I want to give you, as we've been in the Coming of the Son of Man series, looking at the book of Revelation, um, for the last many weeks, I want to give you seven keys to understanding the book. Um, now, I waited on purpose to share these because um, the, the stuff in the first few chapters doesn't need a ton of explanation, but it's the chapters 6 through 19 that throw a lot of people off. And so I wanted to get you into the book of Revelation, enjoying seeing Jesus in the book of Revelation before we got too technical or too deep with it. So I'm going to share some uh, keys to understanding. But first, I want to remind us why. Uh, we're in this series and why I feel it's so important. Uh, the coming of the Son of Man is, according to the Bible, our blessed hope. And what does that mean? Well, let me put it plainly. There is going to be a day when our faith will be sight. Or you could put it this way, where faith will not be required. Can you imagine that? Everything about the way we live today as people that follow Jesus requires faith. But when he comes and we see him face to face and he brings his kingdom on the earth once and for all forever, faith will no longer be required. Can you imagine a day like this? 
Can you imagine a day when there's no issues that need to be fixed or sin problems that we have caused? That is the day when Jesus reigns on the earth, when heaven becomes one with earth. It is the day of his return, and it is our blessed hope. You should get excited about that. We all long for heaven, right? We all want to go, every, every human that, that, that is thinking straight wants to go to heaven. The day Jesus comes back and establishes his rule on the earth is heaven on earth. So if you long for heaven, you long for the coming of the Son of Man. You long for this day. Now, I don't want to go too deep theologically with what I'm about to say, but it is important to say you could actually make a case that the fullness of the reality of heaven is not true for any believer in fullness until this day. We, we like to believe that when our loved ones who know Jesus die, they're immediately in the presence of God. And I believe they are in the presence of God, but I'm not sure that they are living in the fullness of heaven as the book of Revelation describes until the day Jesus returns and makes all things right. We are all longing living and dead for the day Jesus returns. We're all longing for the day he brings his kingdom on earth. And that's what we're looking into because I think there's more of an awareness now that it could be soon it's always been soon, but it's sooner today than it's ever been. <laughs> Think about that for a sec. Uh, we want to be aware. We want to be ready. And that's why we're in this series, so that we are a people prepared and so that we prepare our people for, for the coming of the Lord, that we are hastening the day even, as the Word of God says, um, with our expectation and our faith. So as we get into the Word of God, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, we bless you today as the living word. As we look to the words that have been uh, treasured from you and given to us, we're looking for you. Would you bring these words and your word to life for us? Would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better and fall more in love with you today? because of what we see, that we would partner with you and anxiously await and even with the Spirit of God be crying out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. We want you to come. So enlighten our hearts, light your fire within us as we look to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I told you I was going to give you seven quick keys um, and these are actually on the Spirit of Christ Church uh, resources website, so you don't have to write them down. We do have slides for each one of them. I'm going to talk about them briefly, but um, you can also, you know, snap a picture with your phone. But the book of Revelation can be often uh, misunderstood if you don't have these seven keys in your hands. Let, let's put it that way. A lot of people are, are afraid or mystified and even uh, believers avoid the book of Revelation because they don't feel they have these keys to understanding and maybe even some of you in the room. Um, we have to remember, well, let's just get into them. Key one, <laughs> key number one, that the book of Revelation was meant to be easily understood by everyone um, do we have the slides back there, Daniel? Just wondering, haven't seen any up there today. Um, it's meant to be understood. When Jesus delivered the revelation of Jesus to the Apostle John, he was not a scholar, he did not go to seminary, he was simply a disciple. 
fully committed to Jesus, as much as any of you in this room that call on his name and follow him, he was given this revelation, Jesus believing that he could, with the help of the Holy Spirit, understand it. And so you need to come and approach the book of Revelation with the same faith. If you're a committed follower of Jesus who has the Holy Spirit, and that's another key, you can understand it. It's God wants you to understand it. He doesn't want you afraid or mystified. Uh, literally, there were no seminaries or seminarians or theologians. Um, there were rabbinical teachers, but none of those th- other things existed when Jesus gave this to John. Just remember that. Key number two, the book of Revelation is meant to be taken literally. Um, when, Jesus, when John says he was lifted up and saw heaven and saw a throne, John really saw God's throne. He really saw the heavenly realm. And then when Jesus explains to him the unfolding of judgments and end-time events, they are literal events. Now, um, Marvin did a great job talking about that last week, so if you didn't hear that, go hear that. But the uh, judgments that come as the seals are broken, as the trumpets are sounded, and as the bowls are pulled out, if you've ever read Revelation, you should be familiar with those. Each one of those are real events that will happen. They are future events. They are progressive, and they are increasing but they're literal. They will, all those things will actually happen. It's not all symbolic allegory or poetic metaphor. This isn't the book of Psalms. Um, it is a apocalyptic, mean a revelation, a forward-looking prophetic book where God is telling us, his people, what will happen on the earth. What a gift. What if you started out your lifetime with a book God gave you of everything that was going to happen? Well, it would take some of the fun out, but you'd be very prepared for everything that came your way. And because the events of of, that precede Jesus' return are so intense, he doesn't want us to be surprised or afraid. He has given us everything we need to be prepared, literally telling us what will take place. And there's other reasons for that we'll be talking about today. Key three is that the Holy Spirit is our teacher in understanding the book of Revelation. And that's true with all of Scripture. Anytime you open the Bible to read it, uh, hopefully you do often, you should be asking the Holy Spirit to help you understand and to give you revelation because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Literally, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, which is after he's ascended, which he did, and after he sent the Holy Spirit, which he did, Acts chapter 2, it said the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. It is the Holy Spirit's job to show you the truth about who God is, what the truth is about his word, and actually the Holy Spirit's job to show you what truth is in all of life. If you find yourself confused looking at world events or things happening in your family or in the church, the Holy Spirit is with you to be your guide and show you what's true, to help you discern truth from error, to not give in to uh, confusion. And not to give in to fear-mongering. The Holy Spirit is your gift to be your teacher. Okay, I went off on that one, but the book of Revelation, you have the best teacher. He is the Holy Spirit. It's his job to lead you into truth. Key number four, the book of Revelation was written in what um, some like to call divine order, meaning God's order, the order he wanted to share it, not necessarily in chronological order. Um, We'll talk more about this in in a 
a further week. But if you read through it, it begins with uh, Jesus revealing himself to John. John, uh, then he says, write all this down. He writes these letters to the churches. In chapter 4, he's taken up to heaven. In chapter 5, he sees Jesus take the scroll. And then the, 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 the succeeding chapters have all these events. And then there's seals breaking and uh, judgments coming on the earth. And then there's like a pause that will happen where God kind of explains to John, you know, or an angel explains to John a little bit of what he needs to know to understand. And then it's like it breaks back into the story. And then the trumpets are blown and judgments come on the earth. And then there's like a pause and the angel explains and God explains. So we call it divine order, not chronologically. Um, when the judgments are being poured out on the earth, it's not like life events will pause for the angel to explain. The angel is to explain to us so that when we're walking through it, we know what's coming and we know what our posture should be. Key number five, this one's really important. The main symbols in Revelation are interpreted within the book itself. So you may be reading or have heard of it at one time and you're like, Who, what's the dragon? Who's the woman? What is that about? And uh, all the symbols are are explained, if you look for it, right in the book itself. For instance, we've already seen a few. And I tried to point them out as we're going along, but like in the first couple chapters of Revelation, we see Jesus standing there and it says he has these seven stars in his right hand. You're like, what? Why are there, what are the seven stars? And he says, the seven stars are the messengers of the churches. So he literally explains the symbolism. Like John's seeing stars, Jesus says, that represents the leaders of the churches. Like he explains it. And then it says that Jesus is walking among these lampstands. We're like, what's up with the lampstands? And it says the lampstands are the seven churches. The seven churches that the letters are written to. So, so easy. And you'll see as we get there, the dragon is Satan. It's all explained. You don't have to be really smart. You don't have to figure it out. You have to stop and like, oh my gosh, I can't figure this out. It explains itself. And uh, if something isn't in explicitly explained in the book of Revelation, we take it back to scripture. You always interpret scripture with scripture. If there's any ever a passage, whether it's in Revelation or any other book of the Bible, where you're like, where is that from? What does that mean? Look for other places in the Bible, and Google's really handy, by the way. Thank God for Google. Um, you can cross-reference where that's found elsewhere in the Bible. What does it mean? Don't go, you don't have to go to outside sources. Um, the Holy Spirit can give you revelation if you need it, but the Bible is really good at explaining it by itself. The Word of God explains the Word of God. And I just want to give you that as a tenet to always follow. Um, if something is confusing or hard, I mean, let's, again, I'm stepping in, in places we don't need to go and we, we're not going to fully flesh out today. But for instance, there are passages about the roles of women in the Bible. Well, if you just take one, you could think something, but you got to look at the whole Bible. The whole Bible will give you the whole counsel of God. And it'll give you way more than one verse in First Timothy will give you. All right, so that's just free. Um, that book about women is still on the shelf and it's really good. <laughs> There's a couple of them over there. Key number six, uh, the main theme of the book of Revelation is not the persecution of the church. That's what a lot of people fear because there is talk of persecution that comes on the people of God. That is not the main point of the book of Revelation. The main point of the book of Revelation is Jesus's victory. In fact, you shouldn't be surprised that persecution will come in the end times. Jesus actually promised that if you follow him, you will be persecuted. 
Jesus said it. It's in the Gospels. Often I look at my life and say, I don't really feel like I've experienced much persecution. Am I really following Jesus? Which is actually a fine question to ask. But so when we look at the book of Revelation and see that there is persecution that's church, we should not be surprised. We should remember that Jesus said, in this world, until his kingdom comes, you will have trouble. Anyone ever have trouble in this life? Okay, but take heart. I have overcome. I have overcome it. Whatever trouble you face, I have already overcome, meaning he will be with us and he will pull us through it. So any persecution that comes against us from the enemy or from the result of our own sin or people who hate God, God is with us and he has overcome it. It will not take us down because the end of the story will be Jesus victorious and us, the church, standing with him in victory. We can take heart that he has overcome. He has a plan. He, Mike Pickle likes to say he's the man with the plan, and that plan will work. It's infallible, in fact. His plan to bring all things under his lordship and to make the two one between heaven and earth, God and man forever, it's going to work. It will not fail. It cannot fail. Hallelujah. Somebody should be excited about that. Um, because there, there, this day will come where Jesus really will gloriously do away with all darkness and all sin. He's going to do away with all of it. And there's a day that will come, as he has promised, where he will literally wipe away every tear. And there will literally be no more death and nothing to cry about. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That day will come. His plan will work. Heaven will be our earth. We all want it. And this, the book of Revelation, the events contained therein, is the way. That's the way we get there. It is Jesus' genius plan to win the greatest number of souls, we've said this before, at the deepest level of love in the least severe way. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's his genius plan to bring the greatest harvest into the kingdom with the greatest amount of love in the least severe way. There's nothing for us to fear. It's so funny. I, this may seem like a strange like example, but parents will, will understand. Um, we have cats at our house, um, and we love our cats. Um, but we have this treatment we give them, I think, once a month um, to help take care of, like, Bugs and itchies in their ears and skin and stuff like that. And it's painless, literally painless, to, to administer. However, when we come to, to give this treatment to them, we hold them and it just goes like in their, their neck fur, they think we're killing them. Also, when we clip their claws, they really think they're going to die then, which is also painless. Painless. But the thing is, I was laughing about this and how it relates is that we look at the book of Revelation, the judgment's coming on the earth, and we think that it's going to be really painful. We think, oh no, what's going to happen to us? We should be really afraid. We should screech and hiss and claw our way through this time. But it is the judgments of the Lord are the medicine, the antidote that actually helps us. The judgments of God to the people of God will be painless. 
Just as when judgment came on Egypt and Pharaoh, when he was extracting the people of God and they were untouched. And you will notice, maybe this is a revelation, when you read the book of Revelation, many of the judgments that come are almost the same ones that came on Egypt in Pharaoh's day. It's not an accident. When God brought his people out of that oppression and into the promised land was a grand foretelling or foreshadowing of the day when us out of a corrupted world and into his perfection, where every promise truly is yes and amen, where it is the promised land forever to the nth degree. Now, they got the down payment of a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey that belonged to them, where God was their God and they could worship freely. They got that, but how many of you know it wasn't perfect? How many of you know it wasn't the end of crying? It wasn't the end of sickness? It wasn't the end of death? It wasn't the end of tears? Well, how much more if God could protect by the blood of a lamb, the people of God, in that exodus, will he protect his people in the greatest exodus of all described in the book of Revelation? So when the judgments come, know that it is a painless treatment to the people of God that eradicates the evil that comes against us. Amen? So don't fear. The main theme is his victory. And number seven, the book of Revelation is all about one thing and one thing only, revealing the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And we used to always go through this material uh, in the summer with the House of Prayer internship. We had young people to go through an internship with us through the summer. Um, and I would ask them every week, we'd look at a different chapter. And the first question I'd ask, whether it was like, you know, the throne room or the seals being open and half of, you know, a third of the earth dying, uh, my first question would be, okay, as you read the book of Revelation, what did you see about Jesus? Because that's what you're meant to see. More than anything else is the nature of the man Jesus. Um, everything he does pours forth from his nature. Now, the book of Revelation is, can be surprising because most of us know the Jesus of the Gospels. We know Jesus who came as the lowly one to serve and to save us, hallelujah, and give us a pattern for how we are to live on this earth. But the Jesus resurrected, ascended, and glorified is a full-spectrum expression of the nature of God and his power and glory as well as his love and his mercy, his kindness, his servitude. So the book of Revelation can be surprising if the majority of what you know of him has come from the Gospels, which is why we need the book of Revelation. We need to see the man with the plan who's powerful, the lamb who sits on a throne. The one who's worthy to take the battle plan, the title deed of the earth, and execute judgment. We need to see that Jesus truly is the one. He really is the holy one. And we need to understand him in his majesty and glory, and we need to fall down before him in worship. The book of Revelation is all about him. What do we see about Jesus? And so today we're going to look just at a snippet as we go back to Revelation chapter 5. Those are your seven keys. Put them on your key ring. Read the Revelation, the book of Revelation often and use them. I mean that literally. You can, you should read this. Don't just come and hear it here. Read it for yourself because maybe you're sitting there like, I don't, this doesn't even make sense to me. You haven't read the book of Revelation. Take these keys and go read it. Actually, I'm going to read it to you. Um, and you're going to be blessed. 
I know that sounds crazy, but he promises there is a blessing to those who hear, read, and obey the word of God. So I'm going to read it. I'll be blessed. You're going to hear it. You're going to be blessed. If you obey it, you'll be triple blessed. Amen? So I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 5. And today's sermon title is Before the Throne. Because one of the questions that, that I ask often or have asked when I look at the the word of God in the book of Revelation is, where is the church? Because we see Jesus, we see John, we see the heavenly realms, and we see cataclysmic events happening on the earth, but we don't see clearly, unless we're looking for it, the role of the people of God, what we're meant to do, but it actually is there. And so we're going to look at it today in Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Again, if you have a Bible, look at it. Otherwise, it's going to be up here And I'm going to read a good chunk of chapter 5. So just get ready to receive that blessing promised from Jesus. And we read this before a couple weeks ago, just so you know. Uh, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who stood, I'm sorry, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And this is where we'll be looking today, verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. That's us, the 24 elders. Well, we'll talk about it in a minute. They fell down before the lamb. Before the Lamb, that's what we're talking about today. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Those are the two verses we're going to be looking at. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Keep reading verse 11. Then I looked, John speaking, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Why don't you all say that? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength, honor and glory and praise. Amen. That's as far as we're going to read today. The things you need to see are the verse 8 and that worthy is the lamb. So where is the church? Where are God's people? They are falling before the lamb. As we see in verse 8. Uh, In the midst of all that has happened, all that's been revealed, and all that's about to happen, the people of God represented by the 24 elders, that 24 represents the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm tripping over my mouth today. The 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. So it represents the fullness of all God's people. All the leadership of all of God's people, all who follow him, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Jew and Gentile, all of God's people are these elders, these ones who've been robed, crowned, and enthroned, which we talked about a couple weeks ago as well. They are the ones before him, and it says they are holding in their hands harps 
and golden bowls full of incense. What's that? It's the prayer of the saints. It says it right there. Don't you love how it just explains itself? So awesome. So where are the people of God in the book of Revelation in the end of days before Jesus comes back to take rulership over the earth? They are found falling before the Lamb, bowing before the Lamb with harps and bowls full of incense. They are in the place of worship and prayer. That's where the people of God are when Jesus is ruling and when he's meeting out judgments on the earth because Jesus himself declared, my house will be a house of prayer. That's where the people of God stand. That's where we live. That's where we get to minister to him day and night in the place of worship and prayer. I want to read that passage to you. You may be familiar from Matthew chapter 21. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it up here. It's a very famous, well-known passage of Scripture. Um, Jesus has just come in on the donkey, the triumphal entry in Matthew chapter 21. And it says this, Jesus then entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Verse 13 It is written, he said to them, and he's quoting Isaiah chapter 56, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Very, very famous scene in in the Gospels. Uh, People love to talk about this scene. They're like, look, Jesus, even Jesus got angry. Even Jesus turned over tables, and he did. But why? What was Jesus so zealous for? What had him all worked up? It's not just a cool, neat story about Jesus being human like us. That's not news. He was human like us, tempted in every way. Every emotion you've ever had, he had. He understands you. But why did he go into the temple, make this declaration, start overturning tables? He said, my house will be called. It's prophesied. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you're making a den of robbers. They're buying and selling things. They had turned the meeting place... Between God and man, that's what the temple is. The temple is a meeting place, the dwelling place of God with man. They had turned it into a transaction. It was built around requirements for sacrifice, and it was also built in a way that kept some people out and let some people in. Those who were considered clean or unclean. The people were not being drawn into relationship with God. They were relating to God through facts, figures, rules, and regulations. And Jesus was not satisfied with that system. The temple being the dwelling place of God and man. Jesus' vision was on something else. That he wouldn't just dwell in buildings made by human hands. That he would come by his spirit and dwell in you. So at the end of the day, one thing is true. If you follow Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, you are the temple of God. Therefore, Jesus' statement here is that you are the house of prayer. You yourself, in your individual person, but also us corporately. But Jesus was zealous to bring us to this place. He had to become the sacrifice so that no other sacrifice was needed. And his body had to be torn so that there would no longer be a veil between God and man. Hallelujah. Because there had always been, since the fall of, God, fall of man, a veil. 
a blockage. We couldn't get in or be in the presence of God because he was holy and we would die. But with this one sacrifice of Jesus for all and his body broken, the veil between God and man forever broken. Forever broken. For those who believe it will never exist again. You feel distant from God, it's not because he's distant. It's not because you're separated from him. Cleansing has come to every believer through one sacrifice once and for all. And this is what Jesus was zealous for. This is what he was living for. That God and man would dwell together in perfect unity, intimacy, and relationship with no separation forever. That's what Jesus was worked up about. That's why he had a whip and overturned tables. That's why he made a bold declaration. And I would think if this was his life mission and life purpose, and he's zealous for this, for the temple of God and the people of God to be a house of prayer, and we've never seen Jesus act out like this before, it should be important to us. Whereas I think every Christian I've ever met knows this story, and many who aren't Christians know the story of Jesus flipping over tables. (laughs) I'm not sure how many are zealous to see what he was zealous for become the reality they live in. Can you hear what I'm saying? We all know the story, but we understand the zeal of the story. That Jesus and the Father would have a house of prayer, would have a people living in transparent unseparated intimacy with him at all times and always in all places that we would be a people of prayer a people that talk to God hear from God live with God dwell with God this is more than just a ministry we have a house of prayer y'all know that right we give a lot of time money and energy to that because it matters to Jesus and it's not just for this church it's for our whole city But becoming the the fulfillment of Jesus' great desire here isn't just about showing up to that building or even showing up to this building, although I think having a commitment to the place of prayer personally and corporately definitely fits in there. And if you don't see being a person of prayer, engaging in conversation with God daily as a priority, then you've missed what Jesus came to provide for you. You missed what was beating Jesus' heart on that day. And I would encourage you to connect your heart with it. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to encounter the zeal of Jesus with, for relating with you at all times and all places and all ways in your home, in your car, in your bedroom, with your family, in your workplace, and yes, at the prayer gathering and in the house of prayer, all of the above. We have only just begun to touch the fringes of this thing. But I want you to understand why we're so committed to it, because Jesus is zealous for it. But even more than that, that Jesus is worthy of it. This is our heavenly, earthly, temporal, and eternal calling to stand before the Lamb with worship That's what the harp represents, and prayer. Now, to be fair, I made what could have been a judgmental statement about many Christians who know this story but don't seem to care about prayer. That's a very judgy way to put it, but that's what I said. It feels like that. But I'll be fair. 
Because we see the elders, the 24, bowing before him with worship. Almost every Christian group I have ever heard of or encountered, when they come together, worship God. Hallelujah. We're getting, we're getting something right. We are worshiping him. We come before the lamb with worship. And that is good and that is right. And it is the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Worship is the first breath of prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said these words, When you pray, pray like this. Pray. Pray like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's that? Worship. Worship, worship, worship is always the first breath of prayer. So we're getting worship. We know worship. We're committed to worship. We are definitely known as a people who worship. And to be fair, it's not just about songs that we sing, but it is about songs that we sing. It is about coming together. It is about lifting up our voices. Worship is that. And so we're getting that. Hallelujah. But there is also so much more to prayer, even as Jesus taught us to pray like this. Hallowed be your name. What's next? May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize that Jesus, in teaching this model of prayer, making a declaration about the people of God being a house of prayer, was setting us up for the Revelation 5 reality that we would stand before him day and night with worship and prayer because the next breath of prayer is your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was teaching his disciples that day 2,000 years ago as he walked the earth to pray and prophesy and agree with his return that hasn't even happened yet. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The fullness, the completion of that is when he comes. But every other prayer until that day is a prayer for his kingdom to come. When we pray for healing, we're asking for the kingdom to come. That, that's what we're looking for. We're, we're calling things that are not in alignment with the kingdom of God to come into the alignment with the kingdom of God. Let this body be healed. That's the kingdom of God coming now. When there's no sick bodies on the earth, that's when the kingdom comes in fullness. That's, that's the, the now and the not yet. We pray today for his kingdom to come because there are people that don't know him. And his kingdom comes when hearts come alive to the salvation knowledge of Jesus. But there will come a day when there won't be any person on the earth that doesn't know Jesus. It's the now and the not yet. So we pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven because we want him to break in now, and he wants to. But ultimately, every time we pray for his kingdom to break in now, it's hastening the day when he will actually come back. And that's a really good day. And that's the purpose of the bowl of prayer, the prayers of the saints. The worship aspect is so important, but it is based on one thing that will never change. He is worthy. And that's why I had you say it. That's what they say. They look at the lamb and say, worthy is the lamb. And then the angels say, worthy is the lamb. Everybody's in agreement. He is worthy of worship. That is eternal and never change. We'll stand before him declaring his worth forever. And that's what worship is about. It's about his worth. It's not about, do I feel like it today? It's not about, is the worship good? It's not about, do I sense his presence or not? I love to sense his presence. But I worship because he's worthy. 
when I come into the place of prayer, when I come into this building on Sunday mornings, when I show up at a prayer meeting any day of the week, I worship because the Lamb is worthy. I lift up a song because he's worthy, and that doesn't change based on my feelings or my circumstances or the music or no music. He is worthy, and we're called to declare his worth because we have seen that he is good. We've seen that he is kind. He has evidenced his goodness towards us, and the first several chapters of Revelation declared he's holy. There's no one like him, but worship, we say, because he's worthy. So we all have a harp. We all have a ministry of worship. You don't have to know how to sing. You don't have to know how to play an instrument. If you're breathing and you believe in Jesus, you have a ministry of worship to declare his worth, to declare it to him, to declare it with God's people, wherever they may be, to declare his worship because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. Because he is worthy. All the time. And he will never not be worthy of your worship. You never have a reason not to. Ouch. He's worthy of our worship. So we will worship. And we will come before him with bowls of prayer. What's that about? The bowls of prayer to me... If worship about his eternal worth that never changes, the bowls of incense and prayer are for the things that need to change. How many of you see things in your own life or in the world around you that are not God's will, that are not good? They don't reflect the nature of Jesus. That's all of us, right? That's what's to be in the bowl of your prayers. That should be the prayers you bring before the Lamb. He's worthy because he's perfect, but life on earth is not. So you should have a bowl full of things to bring before him and declare, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the ministry of the saints. We declare his worth and we bring before him requests, prayers, intercessions, because it's not okay right now. How many of you would say, my life right now is perfect. There's nothing I want to change. Then you need to come before God with a big bowl, a big bowl of prayer, because he wants those things to change too. Spoiler alert, he wants them to change more than you do. He wants to break in on your life and the lives of those around you and on the earth more than you want it. But he wants you to stand in the place of agreement. That's what prayer is, agreeing for God's will to be done on the earth. That's why Jesus taught his disciples that prayer. Well, can't God just do it on his own? He can because he's God, but he didn't set it up that way. When he created planet Earth and put human beings on it, he put governing authority on us. That's why Jesus had to become a man. He could only redeem the earth as one of us. He could only take the ultimate throne on the earth as one of us because God the Father in his ancient of days wisdom set up the governmental system to be on the shoulders of a man. And so the government is on the shoulders of Jesus, but he shares thrones with us. And so the, the goal of the people of God to minister and declare his worth, but also to come into agreement. And when we see something not right in our world, 
in our lives, we should take the word of God and say, God, I'm sick. Your word says you've healed me, and I declare for your kingdom to come, your reality to come. I have people in my family, and right now they don't know you. It's not your will that any should perish, so I can pray that they be saved because you want them saved. You want them saved more than I do. Every prayer we have is simply not coming up with a great revelation. It's taking the word of God and agreeing. God, you said. God, you are. God, you want. And I am a human being on planet Earth, and I agree. That's, that's the simple work of, of prayer. That's the bowl of intercession. Does that make sense? Worship, because of his worth, prayer is our participation. Our participation in releasing the kingdom of God and the influence of Jesus into our world. And we're going to see this as we continue in the book of Revelation, but it's the reason, one of the reasons we have the book of Revelation, aside from seeing the glory of Jesus, is so that as Jesus meets out judgment on the earth, we are in agreement we can literally open up the word of God and say, Jesus is breaking open. There will literally be believers on the earth like this. Maybe you and me. Jesus is literally breaking open seal number one, and that's happening. And we as the people of God on earth say, we agree. It's good and right. This seal has to be broken. That judgment has to come so that Jesus can bring heaven on earth. And when the second seal breaks, we say, yes, Lord, we agree. We want your judgments on the earth. They are good and right. Just and true are all of your ways because we want your leadership on the earth. We want you to cleanse everything that hinders your love. We want you to remove everything that keeps your kingdom from expanding. We say yes. The book of Revelation is our prayer manual. To say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, come. Yes, do what you love to do. Yes, come, bring your kingdom. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's we get to agree. It is our dignity as human believers on the earth to agree with God's will. And when we agree, God will do it. God will do it. Our asking and our agreement will release God's kingdom on the earth. This is the ministry of the people of God. This is the work of the church that we would be individually and corporately a house of prayer. Let's stand together. Can you come on up, Meredith? Went a little long on that one. This is grand calling we have. A glorious ministry and again if you're breathing this ministry is yours it's grand and glorious but it's actually so very simple it's so simple a child can do it a brand new believer can do it anyone who has a heart and lungs and a mind and breath can worship and can read the word of God and agree with it say yes Lord come do what's in your heart to do. So I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. Hopefully you're, you're wrestling with, I want to be that. I want to live in the reality that, that Jesus has called us into. I want to be a house of prayer. Does that mean I have to show up to every meeting at the house of prayer? No, it just means you need to talk to God. 
just means you need to prioritize being with him. Take advantage of what his broken, ripped open body has provided and get in the dwelling place with God in the secret place. Get in the dwelling place with God. Talk to him day and night wherever you are. And yes, come together with his people like this and worship and pray and get in the prayer meeting. If you can't make the prayer meeting, start another one. You just need two or three people for it to work right. That's what the Bible says. Let's say yes to the Lord. Jesus, we just declare that you are worthy. You are altogether worthy. You are worthy of all the power, all the praise, all the wealth, all the wisdom, all the glory and honor forever and ever and ever. God, I ask that you would help us as your people to stand with you in the place of prayer all of our days. We give you permission God, to rearrange our priorities. God, and we ask you to increase our faith. God, that our little prayers can change the world. God, that we say yes to all that you've provided us to be, to be before the Lamb and bow down. So Lord, even in this moment, Jesus, in this moment, we bow before you. We bow before the Lamb, the one who was slain for us. We bow before you this Sunday morning and we say, you are worthy.